0: on the air all right open your go ahead and open your Bibles first I want you to open up to uh, I'll tell you what I want you to open up to 2nd Thessalonians I want to read something to you and this is gonna I am gonna tie it into our study tonight but I want to show you something once again I was watching uh, one of the Christian news broadcasting agencies which I probably shouldn't do because anymore they're just as bad as the rest of them But as far as misinformation goes. But they were talking about this uh, revival that was, that's going on in a part of the country which I won't even mention. And at first I was very excited about it. I mean who doesn't want to hear revival? I'm praying for one right here. I really am. But I know there's only one way that's going to happen and we're doing it. And that's going through the Word of God. It's the Word of God that produces a revival. It really does. Church history, all you got to do is read it. it. You can't have one without the other. It's not just prayer, it's prayer and the Word of God. That's how it always starts, it always has. But I, I, I watched this broadcast, and this young man got up there, and all these kids and everything, and I was excited. I really, as God is my witness, I was, I was going, Yes, Lord, you know, this is cool. Until this kid opened his mouth. When his kid opened his mouth, it wasn't what he said. I want you to understand, it wasn't what he said. He said nothing that was offensive. He, he, he actually talked about Jesus. But instantaneously, in my spirit, I had a check on him. I was like, there's something wrong with this boy. There's something wrong. Now, when it comes to operating in the, in the gifts of the Spirit, I just want to throw this out. This is why I wanted to share this with you tonight. Most pastors... You know, as, as you do work within the body of Christ, regardless of what your calling is, you know, at any given time, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that, that the Holy Spirit gives gifts according to his will. And sometimes, you know, there's things we call word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and those type of things. I looked over at my wife and I said, man, there's something wrong with this boy. And I said, let me see something. And I kept looking, and I said, "Go look up this particular church," because I found out went. They didn't say it on the broadcast. I had to research. I typed his name in, couldn't find nothing on him. I typed again. My wife knows I'm like, I'm like Gruff the Crime Dog. When it, I am, you ever seen that commercial? I'm Gruff the Crime Dog. If I want to know something, I'm going to find out. Am I telling you right? If I got to search for months to do it, I will find. You know. So I finally found the church this boy went to, and I knew it. And I told her, I said, "Look up that church for me." So she's on her computer. Read me his statement of faith. Read me what he believes. And I knew. I knew it. I knew it. You know, this kid, you know, these guys deny the Trinity of God. They believe a lot of things that are just absolutely, matter of fact, in Christendom, within Orthodoxy, which our denomination is part of, Orthodox Christianity. And what's the word Orthodox means? It just simply means the way, the straight way. It's, it's the way that's been accepted. I'm not talking about dead orthodoxy. I'm talking about the truth, okay? And most denominations fall within that. But there's a few within Christendom that do not, and they teach heretical teaching. My only point is is that all it took was the Holy Spirit telling me there's something wrong here. Guard your heart. Don't listen to this, because I want a revival. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want it. I want it bad. I was telling one of the pastors this morning, you know, I said, because, uh, you know, I, and I've told you the story, but for those listening on radio, maybe it, ne- you know, it needs to be reiterated. You know, I, I took some flack coming here. I'm not putting that on you because you guys have been here for a long time, but I, but I did because I came from outside, you know, and I was part of the brotherhood of pastors and it was like, how could you go to a Methodist church? You poor backslidden heathen you, you know, that's, that's the way I was treated. I, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating, am I? No, uh, hopefully they've changed their mind because I'm, I'm filling them in constantly on what God's doing here because it's a marvelous thing. I've learned, hopefully you guys are learning, we're all learning together. But there's these ones out there, but I'm, my only point is, is that we need to be able to walk in the spirit and the power of the Holy Ghost and in that gifting. So when you get a check in your spirit, when, when listen to that, listen to it. It's the Holy Spirit trying to protect you from error. Let me let me read you something, and then we're gonna and I'm going to tie this in tonight. It's a, so it's 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 part of our study, Second Thessalonians. Now, of course, Paul wrote this to the church of Thessalonians, and in, he's talking about the end times, which I believe that we are in. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Chapter two, I'm going to start in verse one. But we're living in the last days, gang. Now, think about this for a second. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams, and I know we have some older people here, but I'm, I'm no spring chicken, but in my lifetime, I never thought I'd ever see the time when we're, we can't discern which bathroom to go into. <laughs> Did you ever think that you would ever hear that? No. That's where we're at. That's how crazy the world has gotten, okay? So look at what Paul says, though, addressing the church. He says, now we beseech you, brethren, brethren. By the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, I want you to make note of this, nor by letter as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things and now you know what withholdeth That he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now lets, that word means to hinder, will hinder until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. Now look at this, with all power and and signs and lying wonders, okay? So they're doing signs, and there's lying wonders, and so there's all kinds of religious-looking things that will be connected with that. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because, why? They received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's a tough passage of Scripture to read. But it's one that we need to take to heart. You know, the fact is, is that there are those who preach a different gospel. You can write this one down and, and read it later. I'm going to read it for you. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1-4. through 4. Paul says, I would to God that you could bear with me a little in my folly, for indeed, and indeed, bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, brethren, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom you have not, has not been preached, or if you receive another spirit, which was you have not received, or another gospel, which we have not, or you have not accepted. So there's another Jesus, there's another gospel, there's even another spirit, he says. And we're warned about that. These guys come, and it looks religious, I mean, I watched this thing, and I'm watching this kid up there, and all, these, and all they're doing is getting them down there so they can get them in the bathtub. They want to baptize them because they're scared to death if you die on the way home, you won't make it to heaven. When Paul says just the opposite, and we'll get to that whenever we do. But it's just false teaching. It's false doctrine. And so now there's this false revival. And it's all about what you can do. I listened to this kid. And it sounded like he was talking about Jesus, but I know the Jesus that they teach. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. There's all kinds of people preaching that. You know, strange doctrines, stuffy, crazy stuff. Even in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, how do we know what a prophet is? Look at what this is long ago, before the New Testament, under the New Covenant. And and make it a point to, to understand this, that Jesus taught more from the book of Deuteronomy than he did any other book in the Old Testament. Every quote that Jesus made almost consistently comes from the book of Deuteronomy. But here's what he says about prophets. He said, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, now listen to this, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, Whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, That thou and thou shalt not hearken to the words of that prophet, for that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to see whether or not you are serving the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God, and fear him, and keep his commandments, and obey his voice, and shall serve him, and cleave to him. And he goes on to say that that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death they're false prophets my only point being is that in conjunction with second thessalonians he says that they will do even if they do a sign or a wonder that actually comes to pass if it looks sometimes it looks authentic do you get what i'm trying to tell you it looks authentic but it's not necessarily authentic if it isn't from the word of god and paul's going to tell us that tonight it's the Word of God that is alive and active and sharper than two-edged sword. It's the only thing that's going to produce true spirituality in anybody's life. Nothing else will do. All the hype. I listen to this kid say, we're at a moment in history. And he had all these people in front of him. He goes, we're, there won't even be preaching. We're just going to reach out and touch and feel what the Holy Spirit is doing. I'm going, what does that mean? We're going to touch and feel with the Holy, there's no preaching, there's no teaching. Yeah, that's called the truth has not been presented. And so I don't care if they're falling on the floor. I don't care if they're they're calling out on the name of Jesus. I want to know what Jesus they're calling on. What are they calling on to? Gang, sometimes we just don't ask the right questions. We look at that stuff at face value, and we say this is of God. The Bible says test the spirits whether they be of God. Test them. Be a Berean, because the Bereans were much more nobler than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. This is the only thing we have, is the Word of God. It is absolute. I believe it with my whole heart. It is absolutely perfect. It is without error. And I take it a step further. I know so many people in in my theology background. Here's the way they like to describe it. They'll say, I believe the Word of God is perfect and without error in its original language. They always say that. You know what that's called? That's called a disclaimer. That's a disclaimer. In radio, we call that disclaimer. If you've ever listened to Christian radio, I always thought it was funny because if the radio station doesn't necessarily agree with the guy that they're going to put on, they'll come on and say, well, the thoughts and intentions of the forefathers are not necessarily those of, you know, and they'll go on. That's called a disclaimer. So when a guy says, I believe that the word of God is perfect without error in the original language, what he means is he believes there's mistakes in it. That's what he really means. Well, let me tell you hands down, gang, I believe the word of God is perfect without error in any language. I really do. Now, I believe it has to be the Texas Receptus. That's my only point. But that is the word of God. But I believe it's perfect without her. Think about this. The Bible says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? That the word of God is given by inspiration of God. That word in the Greek means theonoustos. It means God breathed. If God would inspire his word in the first place, do we not believe that he would keep it and preserve it? I do. And he did. And you're holding it in your hands tonight. It's powerful. you know. But, but you've got all this craziness going on. Do we want revival? Absolutely. But we want real revival. You want to see revival? Start sharing the word of God and what he's done in your life with other people. You know, we were helping out, you know, at, at Wilson's. said so had a great time. That, that was fun. I really enjoyed it. My knee was acting up on me, but I had fun. I was running the carts around. And stuff. But I got an opportunity to just talk, you know, with a young man. And, and, and you know, ask people. You know, when a kid says he's a believer, when an adult says they're a believer, say, "Great, tell me your story of his glory." We had a, a couple over for dinner uh, Friday night. It was great. What a blessing that was! Probably the first hour and a half, all we did was tell—let me hear your story about how you came to know Jesus Christ. Wasn't it great? We had, and we sat there. And we just got to share stories. One after, here's how I came to the Lord. You know, and I was making a point. I was kind of preaching a mini-sermon. Not you, Doug, really. A little sermon there at the table. And I said, isn't it funny? I said, most people, I said, of us who came out of the Jesus movement, I said, most of us didn't come to the altar. We came to Jesus Christ through somebody else. And her husband said, me too? Yeah, that was the same way. So was my wife. So, now, I'm not sure if she said the same thing. But, you know, the fact is, as three of us sitting there, that's exactly the proof of it. It was one-on-one. Just somebody sharing. But when somebody tells you they're a believer, ask them, what does that mean? What does that mean? What do you mean? What what, what is it that you believe? Because think about it, gang. The Bible says in James, and then we're going to jump into our study. The Bible says in James, you believe there's a God? You do well. The devil also believes and trembles. So once again, what is it that you believe? You've got to ask yourself. So I just simply ask you. I said, of course, I made friends with him. You know, I like to think I'm pretty cool. For being an old man? <laughs> you know, when you're dealing with a kid 17 years old, he's looking at me. I'm an old man. You know what I mean? I'm just an old man with a tattoo on his arm, and I was hoping that maybe that would be something. He goes, hey, what about that tattoo? What's that mean? I said, oh. So I started explaining to him. Of course, it's got Ecclesiastes. And I started, it was a little opening there. So I kind of befriended him. Saw the tag on his shirt. And I said, hey, so you must be a part of, you know. And he says, well, kind of. Kind of. Hmm. Is that?" Kind of going swimming? I mean, are you like half wet? What 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 does that mean? He goes, he goes, well, you know, he kind of him hauled around about it, you know. And so I just kind of, you know, gently nailed his feet to the floor. I said, well, tell me, you know, do you believe in Jesus? Well, yeah. Well, what do you believe about Jesus? And he couldn't tell me. I said, Do you understand the gospel? He goes, and he was, I said, look, you gotta lie to me, son. I might not even see you again. I don't know. I might drop dead tonight. I don't know. The Lord calls me home. Brother, I might not see any of you anymore. I don't know. So you've got to lie to me. I ain't getting, I'm ain't. i not judging you. We're just out here pushing carts around having a good time. You know, we're just asking questions is all we're doing. I said, do you know the gospel? Do you understand it? No, I really don't. He says, I really don't. I said, well, I asked you a minute ago if you believed it. You said yes. Now you're telling me you can't explain it. I said, so you're telling me you believe in something that you can't explain. Is that possible? And the 16-year-old kid looked at me and he goes, no, it's not. I said, you're right. Absolutely right. How can you believe in something that you can't explain? How can you believe? And we're talking something, gang, that has eternal consequence to it. Do you, we get that, right? Do we understand that? We're talking about eternity is on the line here. This isn't some superficial thing. This isn't whether or not he's going to graduate. I looked at him, and I said, you know, there towards the end, when I finally explained to him, I said, now, do you believe that? He said, yeah, I do. I says, and brother, you want, you want to make that right today? Because I'm telling you, I said, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know. Make it real from now on. Let's make it real. You know, I just asked the right question. And I'm not saying it's me. It's not me. I just happened to ask. Sometimes they don't know because we just don't ask. And when we do ask, maybe we're not asking the right question. You know, just because somebody tells you they're a believer, like I said, I'm going to keep, I told Dave, did to, I warn him? I said, I'm going to use your quote over and over again because it was good. He was in the 945 here a few weeks ago and he said, You know, it's kind of funny, you know, because I, I kind of, I fancied myself a Baptist. I shouldn't tell that anymore because actually on my dog tags, Roger's been in my house, on my dog tags, it says Baptist on it, you know, which is funny because I wasn't nothing. I mean, they asked me what religion I was, and I thought, I thought Baptist was a religion. I didn't even know it was a denomination. That's how stupid I was as a kid. So I, I was nothing. But that was the church that we kind of went to when we did as a kid. So, But here's what Dave said. He goes, you know, it's funny. He said, the Baptist, he said, everybody walks in the front door, they don't think any of them are saved. He says, and if you're a Methodist, he says, we think everybody walks in the front door is already saved. And I added to it, and I says, and neither one of them is correct. Neither one of those are correct. We don't know. But we want to help people come to that place where they not only understand the gospel, but they're able to articulate. Because I told him, I said, told this kid. I said, you believe in fire, right? He said, yeah. I said, why? And I kept drilling him home. I said, son, I said, check me on this. Test me. I said, go to school. I said, talk to your friends and ask them what they believe. I said, when they tell you what they believe, ask them why? You don't have to get theological. You don't have to know a ton of scripture. Just ask them, why do you believe it? I said, I've led more Mormons to, to the Lord asking that simple question. When they would come to my door, of course, after a while, they, you get put on what they call the blacklist. They don't come to my door anymore. And so they come to the house, and I simply invite them in. I, I've got taken heat for that because, you know, that's a whole other thing. But, you anyway, I do anyway. I love talking to them. Because we were sitting in my house, and of course, I'm a studier, you know, I love teaching the Word of God, and so I have read and studied Mormonism and all kinds of other stuff over 30 years. So I had their books, and I had actually been to their temple, so I have the little stones. They, they actually sell these little mimical stones, and I wanted it because I use them as illustrations. And this kid was sitting in my house one day, and he looks up in my, my office, and he goes, wow, man, you, you've been to Nauvoo, because it's a brick. It says Nauvoo, on it. that's where their temple, one of their temples, their, their first one was. And I says, oh, yeah, man, I've been to Nauvoo more times than I could count. He goes, wow, did you study the Book of Mormon? I said, brother, I've read that thing more times than I could count. He goes, do you believe it? I said, before I answer that, let me ask you a question. Can we do that? And, of course, there are always two of them there. And it's always funny because they're about 17, 18 years old, and their old tag says elder. <laughs> when you hit 58, then you call yourself an elder. You know what I mean? Otherwise, forget it. And everybody here, it's an 80 going, yeah, Doug, and when you hit my age, you call yourself an elder. So I know that. But anyway, they're sitting there, and the kid looks up, and he goes, sure. I said, do you believe it? Do you believe it? And here's what he said. And I'm sharing this with this kid Saturday. He said, with all my heart. I said, you believe it with all your heart? Why? Why do you believe it? And here's what he said. He goes, well, you know, my grandfather, I said, stop. Stop. I didn't ask you what your grandfather believed. I asked you what you believed. You said you believed it with your whole heart, and I'm asking you why. And he looked at his little buddy, because they always come in twos. One of them's the older guy, and the one's the newbie. And the newbie's sitting there, and he's going, I've already got him baffled. He ain't saying nothing. And he looks at the other kid, and he's lost. And he goes, well, you, my, my, my dad and my mom. I said, stop. Didn't ask you about mom and dad. You said you believed the Book of Mormon with your whole heart. That's what you said. I do. And I'm asking you why and he couldn't answer it. He, he got so frustrated so frustrated And he goes well let me ask you a question and I said go ahead and he was mad and actually at the house we had a bunch of women in the house from our church at that time they were having a women's meeting downstairs I'm up in my office and they heard this yell and I heard somebody start to come out the doors I just stuck my head out I said I've got this got it all hounded it's under control the kid goes let me ask you a question I said go ahead he goes you read the Bible I said yes I do brother every day every day He goes, you believe it? I said with my whole heart. He goes, why? And I said, I'm glad you asked. Let me talk to you about prophecy. I said, you know what? Let me give you, let me give you an acronym. I call it maps, manuscripts, okay? Autographies, prophecy, and science. I have put every one of those to the test up against the word of God. And I've come to the conclusion it is absolutely accurate. You can't find a flaw in it. And it is the convictor of men's hearts. And if they believe it, they shall be saved. And I can show them to you. You got time, son, because I'll take you through every one of those prophecies. There's 448 of them in the Old Testament talking about the first coming of Jesus Christ. And there's over 800 talking about the second coming. How long you got? Because I can take you through every one of them, and I'll do it if I have to. He got so mad, he jumped up and he goes, "What was your name? What's your name?" He goes, "I said Doug Cope," and he goes, "Oh my God, you're that man on radio." (laughs) I said, "You're absolutely right, son. You deceived Brother Thomas, and that's a known story. Maybe I told it to you. One of their buddies, one of the missionaries that was there two years prior, I had led to the Lord." And Brother Thomas went back to Utah, and he began to preach the gospel. And when they wanted to know where he heard that heresy at, he pointed to me. I've, I've kept that kid in prayer the whole time, but they had passed that along to them. Here's my only point. I told this young man, I simply asked him, I said, son, what do you believe, and why do you believe it? I said, it matters why. You have to know why. Listen, there's other Jesuses being preached. Paul said it, I didn't. We just read it. There's other gospels being preached. Paul said it, I didn't. He said there would be another spirit that would be preached. Paul said it, I didn't. We need to be ready always, the scripture says, to give an answer to every man who asketh of the hope that lieth in thee. We need to do that, gang. And, and how do we do that? We study the word of God. And when, when people see how accurate this thing is, and accurate about what? About the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Wherever we cut this book, it will bleed with the blood of Jesus. And as long as we exalt him, the one and true Jesus Christ, not some mythological ones that the Mormons preach because that's not the Jesus of the Bible, or the one that this kid in his false revival is going through, dinner, because that's not the Jesus of the Bible, Give them the word of God. Just give them the word of God. It's not hard. And don't be afraid to ask somebody, what's the story of his glory in your life? What is it? Let's hear it. It's awesome to listen to people who have a genuine testimony. I love listening to it because we all have one, don't we? We all have a story. You know, how we come to know Jesus Christ and all the things that he's done for us and how blessed we really are. You know, ah, oh, let me tell you, you know, what the Lord's doing in my life this week. It was cool. It came in this morning. It was like, hey, you know, I helped some kid, you know, come to, come to know Jesus, you know. <laughs> but that's happened so many times since I've been here. I love it. You know, but the, you know what? It would happen no matter where I was at because pretty much that's what I do. I always tell my wife, she goes, well, how can you do it? That's what I do. I love talking about Jesus. I really do. But don't think you've got to be able to quote a million scriptures to do that. Sometimes it only takes one, you know. But most of the time, we just need to ask. You want to see a revival? Then ask people. Take them to the Word. Take them to Jesus, you know. Uh, We went out to lunch today, and it was really cool. Uh, There were several couples there uh, from the church, and that had happened before. And uh, everybody wanted to come over, and it was very encouraging, and I I really enjoyed that. And then when we got ready to leave, the little Oriental girl came up, and she goes, your bills are paid. (laughs) And I went, wow, really? Praise the Lord. It tasted better for some reason after I found that out. It did. It was like, wow, that's really good. You know? Uh, but, but what a blessing it was. But every one of them, every one of them, and they were all older people, like us, started to voice their concern to me about what they wanted to see. And consistently what they said was, man, we want to see people get saved. You know? Every one of them, they want to see people get saved. They want to see people, and I said, me too, man, me too. This world is short on time. If you think we were living in the last, I, mean, when I you know, when I came to Christ was, was many, many years ago, and we believed wholeheartedly we were living on the brink then. I never thought I'd ever see a day that I'm seeing today. You know, we've got this wake up America thing coming up, this, this day of prayer. Billy Graham has been traveling the whole United States trying to get America to wake up, you know? I'm telling you now, though, when you read Isaiah, oh, man, I love him. One of the best. You know, David Jeremiah, one of the best sermons I ever heard him preach, I was live. He, He came to our Bible college. We were having our conference there. And he got up and, and he was speaking and, and one of the things he said, of course, he always dresses in a suit and every Calvary pastor is always dressed in Hawaiian shirts and so he's got nine hundred pastors in front of him. He goes, you know, you guys are you guys crack me up. He goes, I love coming here. He said, but I always feel out of place because I'm the only one without a Hawaiian shirt on, you know. And but he taught this sermon and and I can't remember most of it, but I remember this because that few words, boy, it hit me in the heart. He says, when you're 15 years old and people say, man, what potential that kid has look at the potential this young man or that young woman has. Look at that potential. He said, that is a statement of great expectation. He says, but man, if you reach my age, which he was in his 60s, late 60s at the time, he said, and somebody says, man, he had such potential. He said, that is a statement of opportunity lost. His point was, is that, man, if we're going to win people to Christ, today is the day. Now is the time, you know, to start sharing our faith with Jesus Christ. But don't just, if I hear one more person tell me, I'm trying to get so-and-so to come to church. Listen to me. I understand wanting people to come to church. I want them to come to church, but I want them to in the kingdom. You know, if they come and Listen to me, gang. My wife stood up here and gave a testimony. There are people who sit in churches all their life and are not saved. Now, whose fault is that? Theirs. It's their fault. I don't care who the pastor is. You can have the best preacher in the world, best Bible teacher in the world, and there will still be students that sit in front of you. My wife's a student. She was a teacher for 30 years. She'll tell you, you can have the best teacher in the world, and there's always going to be some students that don't listen. You know what I'm saying? And there's going to be people sitting in a pew who don't listen. But the Bible's very clear that he has set some of the church first, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what God's called us to do. That's our job. We get to do that. And how, how, do, we, how do we prep for that? The Word of God. We prep by studying. We study not so that we can just fill our head with knowledge, I mean, it's cool to learn about Jesus Christ. I hope you guys get something out of this. I know i am not touched my text yet. <laughs> I'm well aware of that. But this is important, I think. You know, the, the fact is, is we need that. We, we need that. So, but not just to fill our head with knowledge. It's so that we can take that and give it to somebody else. You know, Paul the Apostle said, I've taught you, young Timothy, so that you in turn might teach others who are worthy also. That's what we're wanting to do. We want to lead people to Jesus Christ. There's only one way of doing it, and that's by sharing our faith. Paul's going to get into this here. And he's going to uh, start to talk about the Word of God being alive and active and sharpening to the edged sword. I'm going to pick it up in verse 9 of Hebrews 4, where I left off. And let's just go ahead and jump into it. In verse 9, he says, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. This verse kept coming to my mind as I was listening to this young man preach because when he was preaching, if you want to call it that, he was hyping people's what he was doing. He kept reiterating over and over again, we're going to do whatever we have to do. Who's with me? Who's with me? We're going to do. It was, we're going to do, we're going to do, we're going to do. You know what it sounded to me like, and I'm Jewish and you know it. It sounded like the children of Israel every time. Oh, we're going, we promise you, God. We're, we're going to serve you and you're the only God. The next verse and the children of Israel did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's what promises get you. That's why you notice you don't see promise keepers anymore? You don't hear about them anymore. I had friends that were well ingrained in that thing. And of course, you know, let there be some Jewish preacher guilty to stand up and and pop everybody's bubble. Because I (laughs) I was down in Washington and they had like a million of these guys that show up, you know. And what are they doing? They're standing out front, they're going, We promise that we're (laughs) now it sounded godly. It sounds like it makes sense. I promise God that I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to be the man that I'm supposed to be, and I'm going to treat my wife, and I'm going to open a door, and I'm going to give her flowers, and I'm going to treat her like, you know, she's supposed to be. I promise God. And the children of Israel did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's what goes through my mind. When I see people making promises to God, now you know why James said, Swear not, neither by heaven, nor by earth, nor by any other oath. But let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. In God, the Bible says, all things are yea and amen. So we go by the word of God. Are we going to fail? Yes, we are. But we never fail in Jesus Christ because we are trusting in him and what he has done. It is not what we are doing. It is what he has already done. It's not our works that we look to. We look to his. So I don't have to stand before God and make promises that I'm going to probably not wind up being able to keep. Every one of us sitting here has made a promise of some sort, whether to God or to somebody else, most of it about dieting, I'm just as guilty, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, and the first time that, you know, the Sundays are on sale, it's like, ooh, well, you know, or a company comes over and the brownies get baked, you know, it's like, well, you can't let people down, you know, and we want to be cordial and, you know, hospital and everything. Not all of us can be blessed with a metabolism like Roger McDonald, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, but you, you get it, you know, but that's my point. But what happens to those movements? They dwindle. Why? Because people realize how futile it is. It sounds good. And I'm not saying that, you know, men, I want men to be men. You know, the Bible says, quit ye like men. Don't get me preaching on that because I love it. You know, we're living in a, in a time now where men are wearing buns. Did you? What's up with that, man? Wearing, they call them man Buns. Are you serious? A man bun? Have you seen this? You know how the ladies wear those little hair? They got buns for men. You know, you see a picture of a guy sitting in a coffee shop and he's got a beard, which seems manly, till he turns his head and he's got a bun in the back. You're going, who told you that that looked manly? But this is the same kid who's living in the basement of his parents' house. He's 27 years. Old. You know, you understand what I'm saying? We're living in a time when there ain't no men. Men have went by the wayside, gang. It's unfortunate, but, you know, they don't even know which bathroom to go in now. You know, so they're they're, they're arguing about that, you know. So why? You know, once again, this is the problem with making promises, you know. So there remains a rest of the children of God. Once the work of creation was completed, once God had taken care of that, you know, he rested on the seventh day. In like manner, once the work of redemption was finished by Jesus Christ, he too sat down at the right hand of the Father and is there continually making intercession for you and me. In John 4.34, Jesus said unto them, My meat, my food, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus finished the work. Thus on the cross Jesus cried, Tostelestai, It is finished, paid in full. I love that. Man, I am trusting in that. If we have entered into the rest of God, then effectively we have ceased from our own works. If you're genuinely, genuinely resting, even as God did from him, there's nothing more that God will do now to save you. There's nothing more that needs to be done. He has done all that needed to be done through Jesus Christ. And so it's now up to you to believe and accept that which has been provided through Jesus Christ the perfect the complete work of salvation the acceptance that you have before God because of Jesus because of him my faith is in him i'm accepted by him i'm accepted in him as the apostle paul said we are accepted in the beloved ephesians 1:6 we're accepted you don't have to do anything. You ain't got to make no promises to God. You ain't got to stand raise your right hand and say, I will do this because you're not going to keep it anyway. You lying. Be honest with yourself. Embrace the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know what the beauty of walking in the Holy Spirit is? Is that I want to do right. You want to do right. We all want to do right. But it's a supernatural work that has to be done by God. I can't stand there and in my flesh and go, yes, Lord, I'm going to, uh, see, I'm going to make a, and you come up with all these promises thinking that somehow God's going to bless you. Well, listen, God's going to bless you anyway because he loves you. He loves you. So all we really need to do is embrace it, walk in the Spirit, accept the Spirit of Christ, and allow the Holy Spirit to do that in your life which you cannot do for yourself. It's amazing when you watch the transformation in people. I'm one of the few I've been blessed to watch my wife because there was a lady, when I met her, had been in church all of her life. And she had me fooled. Ain't picking on you. She had me fooled. Why? Because she's beautiful. She is a beautiful woman. Highly, highly educated. Much more than me. And School teacher, professional. And yet when we started to talk about spiritual things, I had a check in my spirit. Something wrong. So I asked a simple question. I said, tell me, when were you born again? (laughs) It was funny. Because she said, well, what do you mean? (laughs) It's not a trick question. When were you born again? give me the story of his glory in your life. Let me hear it. Can you explain the gospel to me? And like so many other people, she couldn't do it. Well, you know, when I was 12, I kind of went forward as a baptism. and I said, I didn't ask you when you were baptized. Baptism's great, but it's not really part of the gospel. Paul said, God sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, so obviously they're different. It's great, but that doesn't save you. So tell me when did you get saved? So it's that kind of thing, you know. And to watch the transformation, that's what I'm getting to. Because I had the privilege of not only praying for her and with her, but then to pray that the Lord would pour his spirit out upon her. And to watch that transformation. And not only did I see it, but all of her family see and these are church people. Ooh, you want to upset church people. Oh my gosh. You know, start, start preaching the gospel. If, you, if you, you get around people who think that they're religious, and they are religious, because that's what it is, religion. If they really don't know Jesus, you know you're going to upset them. My brother, when we first found out that he was in some cult, some wretched cult out in California called Calvary Chapel, we just knew that they were all going to be out drinking Kool-Aid for long. We just knew it. We knew it. Why? Because every time he came around, all he wanted to talk about was Jesus. That was all he wanted to talk about. Them Jesus freaks, that's what we started calling them Jesus freaks. All they want to talk about is Jesus. Doug, are you a Christian? Well, sure I am. But I don't talk about Jesus all the time. (laughs) Think about that. I mean, how contradictory can we be? And yet, there's a lot of people who hold that testimony. And I did too when I was a very, very young man. I didn't know any better. Paul said, the things that I did, I did my ignorance, nothing knowing. And my wife was the same thing. And the blessing thing is to watch her go from that and then to watch her preach and to see the reaction that people have to her speaking because it ain't her. It's the Holy Spirit. That's what they react to. And that's the difference, you know. So it's amazing when we see that. But it's all because of Jesus. So look at verse 11. He says, so for those that want to labor, For those that want to live, because there's people who really want to work. They really do. Paul says this Let us labor, therefore, to enter into the rest, lest any man fall of the same example of unbelief. I've always found this verse to be a little humorous when you read it, because it just seems almost a contradiction in terms. You know, labor into the rest, labor to get into rest, you know, work to not work is what he's saying. Isn't it funny? However, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul knows the heart of man. That's what you got to read. The Holy Spirit knew. He knows how we are. He knows that we have a hard time with that. To those who want to work, who want to labor, Paul says, if you want to labor, then labor in or into the rest. Because you'll be challenged at every step when you do. When you really set your mind to it and you get your hands around the fact that Jesus has done it all and you decide you're going to rest in the Lord. I'm just trusted in Jesus. When you get to that point, don't think that you won't be challenged in it. You will. Absolutely will. At every turn, the enemy will come alongside, and at every point, he will tell you you can't do it. You can't do that. You can't just rest. You can't live a life of purity. You can't live a life of righteousness. You can't do it. Don't believe it for a moment. It's absolutely possible. For it's God that worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now, I would certainly tell you that those things I just mentioned, purity, righteousness, holiness, those type of things, try to do those things on your own. Stand up and promise God you'll be holy. I don't advise it, but try it. Oh, Lord, I'm going to be holy. Oh, Lord, I'm not going to do this, that, or the other sexual thing that I talked about with my buddies in secret. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take that drug. I'm not going to, whatever that thing might be that we think, you know, I'm going to promise God I'm not going to do it. Try it. And the devil will see to it that you do. He'll put every attempt in your path. Why? Because he knows. He knows if you're trusting in yourself, if he thinks that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, he knows you will fail. He knows it. And he'll come right alongside and he'll rub your face in it. Because you'll feel like a failure. And he knows it. Because when you do fail, and you will fail. It's not if, it's when. And when you do, he will come alongside and say, see, told you, you're just a wretch. (laughs) I wouldn't go to church today. Look at how miserable you are. (laughs) You call yourself a Christian. Well, I've had the enemy come against me so many times it isn't funny. And here's what I tell him. You know what? Jesus Christ is the one who took care of me, brother. And I'll tell you what, when I stand before the Lord, it's going to be him that God is looking at, not me. And thank God for it because I'm a wretch. In and of myself, I can do nothing. But boy, when I allow Jesus to do it, he does in me that work in which I cannot do myself. He's the one who does the transforming. It's the Holy Spirit that works that. So do I want to do good? Yes, we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We want to do good works. I love it, but even when I'm doing them, I have to check myself. I want my motivation to be right. You know, I went out to, to do volunteer here the other day, and, and that was fun. But I, I, even then I caught myself going, wow, well, you know, because I like these guys. I, you know, I, I, I was a business owner one time. I, you know, I wanted to help, but I don't want that to be the reason I'm doing it. I want to be the reason I'm doing it because I just love the Lord, you know. And so I had to continue to check myself, you know. And I just want to do it for Jesus. I heard Pastor Chuck say one time, you know, they had that huge church. And, you know, Chuck was one of those guys who had never smoked, never drank, never chewed, never went with girls that did, and that kind of thing. just the way he was. You know, he was raised in a, you know, a Pentecostal background and a kind of a, you know, they believed in a superficial holiness, but that's the way he was. And, and he didn't miss nothing. I mean, you know, he's home with the Lord now. But here's what it did do to him. And he said when he would come in to church, he said he was always the first one there. And this is a huge church talking, like ten, fifteen thousand, 15,000 meeting there on Sunday morning. It was a big church. So he would park in a parking lot. He says, and as he was walking through, he would see cigarette butts laying all over the place, you know. And Chuck, being like me, retentive, he couldn't study, so he started picking them up. And he, and he said, and the whole time he's picking them up, he's going, these filthy smokers. He's going, you know, they to. And he's just growling. He says, and finally the Lord said, stop. What are you doing? Well, if they weren't smoking they wouldn't be throwing these things he's going who are you doing it for who are you doing it for if you're doing it for them just quit doing it chuck now if you're doing it for me then quit griping quit griping and he said it just changed his whole attitude you know i mean you know the the problem is is sometimes that can be you know our motivation can be skewed so we just want to make sure that when we are doing anything good works because we want to we want to glorify the Lord in the things that we do, but we want to make sure that our motivation is correct. You know, The children of Israel did not enter into the rest. They didn't have that peace. The devil wants you to work off in your He wants you to work in your flesh. He knows it's going to produce failure. He knows you're going to mess up, and ultimately you're going to become dissatisfied with yourself. You're going to become self-condemning even though the Bible says there is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus, but he knows that's what's gonna happen when you fail. So he's gonna encourage you to try to do the things that I talked about, purity, righteousness, holiness. He's gonna encourage you to do that in your flesh because he knows you'll fail at it. Because he wants you to be frustrated. He doesn't want you to rest. But when you do rest and you know, am I gonna fail? Yeah, I'm gonna fail. Because you know sometimes I'm probably gonna pull out in the parking lot and some knucklehead's gonna pull out in front of me and I'm not gonna like it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to like it. And, 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 you know, I'm not going to like it. And I'm probably, even though I probably won't do it, you know, physically, I'd probably be thinking something I shouldn't think. You know? And listen, that's going to happen. But I thank God that I'm not righteous in my own. I'm righteous through Jesus Christ. But you know what? As the Holy Spirit continues to grow me, as he is you, I become more tolerant. You know, I mean, if you'd have told me 15 years ago, that I would be sitting and teaching in a Methodist church, playing music in a Methodist church, I'd have laughed you to scorn. I would have. No denomination. Denomination? No, not me, you know, because the non-denom, that's the more holy way. We're the only ones that are right, right? (laughs) You you think I'm joking about that. There's people, there's plenty of them have that man's mindset. They swear up and down they don't. They swear up and down they don't. It's your actions that say a lot more, and I know them. I love these guys, but I know them, you know, and I saw the flack I took when I came here. My only point being, you're going to fail, and the devil wants you to do that, but if you just trust in Jesus, you don't have to do that. You know, the fact is, as God's already done it for you, the children of Israel did not enter into the rest because they were trusting in their own ability to take the land, Remember? They came across, they're going, oh, you know, there's giants, and they looked at their cells, and they're going, we're like grasshoppers to these, we're going to get killed. They trusted in their own, and so they became, you know, unbelieving. They became dismayed because the obstacles were greater than their own ability to overcome them. That was the problem. So they looked at their own abilities, they looked at their own resources, and said it can't be done. And that's unbelief. So once again, what do we do? We want to look at Jesus Christ and we say, it can be done. It has been done. It has been done. The fact is, is that you can do all things, Jesus said, through me. So if it's through Jesus Christ, there's nothing that will be impossible for you. Verse 12, he said, for the word of God is quick. That word means alive. It's quick and powerful. Powerful. Sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, if I actually have, it's hard for me to point to my favorite, but this is one of them. I love this verse. So often, when you get around certain preachers who don't like teaching through the Bible, They'll often point to 2 Corinthians. I've had this said to me many times when we were discussing what is superior, exegetical or eisegetical. You know, should we teach through the Bible or should we teach topical? You know what stand I take (laughs) because that's what we do, okay? But a lot of times I've had several pastors over the last 30 years will point to 2 Corinthians 3.6 as an excuse for why they don't do it. And here's what it says. It says, who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, because the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And they quote that as though he's talking about the Word of God. And once again, it's taken out of context, because if you go back and read it in its context, he's talking about the letter of the law. We've been made able ministers not of the letter of the law, but by the Spirit of God because the letter of the law killeth, but the spirit gives life. That's what the verse actually means. So once again, there are those who want to use that, but the fact is he's talking about the law. In Hebrews 4.12, he says, we are told that the word of God is alive. It's active, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. As we just read, it says, it's able to pierce even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. Now, soul and spirit, this is interesting to me, because in the Greek, it's talking about the soul, the soul, the word is psyche, is what it means. Psychic, your mind, is what it's talking about. There's a lot of worship going on today that's purely psychic up here, soul. It touches our emotions, but not necessarily our spirit. It's often filled with a lot of liturgy. And that's okay. Liturgy is the lighting of candles and that kind of stuff. And I'm not knocking that. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that that can be a part of that liturgy. Robes, that kind of stuff. Chants, even, in some churches. Call me, say the holy, that kind of thing, you know, they're chanting. And that's liturgy. And it's really quite an experience. I've actually been, I was back in the day when they used to hold what they called a, a folk mass. And you, and you used to be, a, you were a Catholic, right? You ever been to a folk mass? Okay, well, I played a few of them uh, in my younger days, and uh, for friends of mine who were begged me to go because <laughs> I really didn't want to, but I would go there. And I have to admit, it, there's an awesomeness to it. Anybody who's ever experienced it, when you go in there, I mean, you know, when it's lots of liturgy, there, there's that. I don't know. It's, it's an over. It's, you feel like you've been in the presence of God, but it's all up here. It's a soulish experience. Why? because when I went, there was never no word taught, okay? There's only one thing that touches a man's spirit, as we just read. That's the word of God. So you can very well have a very emotional experience with music or those type of things. But if the word of God hasn't been taught, then all you really had was a soulish experience. I mean, you might walk out of that church thinking that you worshiped God in full that day. But in reality, what you had was a, soulish experience. It wasn't truly a spiritual experience if the Word wasn't coupled to it. It's, it's, it's great when you can have both. And I, and I pray that that's what we're shooting for here at our fellowship, you know, is we're shooting for both. We want both. We want the Word to be taught, but we want to also have a, a meaningful worship experience. But on the other side, you know, you, you can see with some, some of our Pentecostal brothers, you know, their, their, their services are just filled with emotional I've played a lot of them. i got a lot of friends who are on that side. And you go to their services and people are dancing and they're jumping and they're shouting and it can be exciting. I had a good pastor friend of mine who had come from that and of course he wound up being a Calvary guy. But I was he was in New Jersey and, and a great guy and he used to attend this huge, he was actually one of the assistant pastors, this huge massive Pentecostal church. And he grew up in that place but yet because he treasured the word of god and he liked the way calvary did he kind of progressed and became a calvary chapel pastor but he did confess to me he says you know he says i gotta admit he says about every month or so he says i'll sneak over to the and like look in the back door just so i can get my pentecostal fix on you know he, he couldn't he couldn't totally forsake it all the way you know he had to go over just to get a shot of it you know but so often there's no i remember going to a, a service one time and i'll close with this i remember going to a service one time and saw a lot of things. A lot, of, lot of lot of charismatic things. <laughs> lots of singing, lots of dancing, lots of you know, stuff going on. And when we walked outside, and of course, it was one of those services where people were so excited that the the pastor actually stood up and, and, and he gave the sign which was which meant keep it going. Keep it going. So they did. The the band just kept playing, and they they just kept doing stuff. And the next thing you know, uh, they were going, wow, church was over. And we're walking outside, and and they kept saying, oh, wasn't it? It was so blessed. It was so blessed because the Spirit came down. The preacher didn't even get to preach. And I thought, wow. So we had a very soulish experience, but there was no spiritual experience. Why? Because the Word of God had not been taught. Do the one, don't leave the other undone. And so often that's what the difference is, but the Bible is very clear here. He says that it's able to discern, because it's hard for us to discern soul and spirit sometimes, because they're so closely connected, so closely connected. We can often confuse one for the other, but it's only the Word of God that's able to do that. And that's why it's important that we put the Word of God first in everything, especially when it comes to how we worship. We want our music to be, and that was one of the things I was blessed with today. That everybody kind of came over to our table and says, man, we love your music. I said, well, it's really not mine. We just, we're just playing it, you know. But we do want to play it as unto the Lord. And everybody kind of said that, and we were blessed by that. And, and, uh, and I was really blessed by the free meal. <laughs> I have to admit, that was great. Somebody paid for her meal, and that was just such a blessing, you know. But but that was the thing that they kept talking about, and a few other things. But it's, you know, we want that, but we want the word of God too, and we desperately want to see people come to know Jesus Christ, and we want to see people get saved. You know. In closing, again, let me say this: We're talking about revival. We talk about people coming to know Jesus Christ. You know, so many youth groups. So many youth groups. And I saw this happen at one of the churches I pastored. What happens is, you know, a church will start off with a bunch of young'uns. Those young'uns grow up, and they're coming because mom and dad brings them. The young'uns grow up. Next thing you know, they go to college. And they never come back. Sometimes they do, but a lot of times they don't. And the youth group is down to one or two kids. Why is that? Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me give you my summation of it. It's because they haven't reproduced. If you take two lambs, or is, is that right? A goat, no, what is, what, what, what is a male? <laughs> is there a male lamb? Oh, you can tell I'm from California, can't you? I, I, my, was a ram? A ewe and a ram. You take a ewe and a ram. If they're healthy, put them in a fence, put them in a field, let them eat. They will reproduce. They will why cuz they're healthy we ought to reproduce there's an old book written many many years ago called the reproducers and all it simply was talking about was biblical evangelism biblical church growth how does churches grow well we grow because we lead people to Christ and then when they need a place to grow we say hey let me pick you up sunday you know what i mean now don't get your cart before the horse Because that's often what happens. A lot of times, you know, as pastors, we can get up there and start saying, well, how come nobody brought anybody to Sunday school this morning? If all of you has just brought one person, you know, don't do that. It's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is sharing your faith with other people, especially our youth, teaching them to do that. But giving them something that they can share. Once they have a genuine, genuine born-again experience with Jesus Christ, they will share that at church. They'll share it not at church, but at school and every other place. And then you'll see them bringing more kids in. And then you'll see youth groups that are reproducing. And the church does it. But it works the same way even with adults. You know, healthy sheep reproduce. So our goal at Marne, right, is we want you guys to be the best fed and the most loved sheep in the pasture. You know what I'm saying? I mean that sincerely. The best fed and the best loved sheep in the pasture. And I hope you guys feel that way. Father, we love you. And we do thank you so much for all that you do for us. Lord, we ask that your word would go forth, Lord Father, to everybody, not just people sitting here, Lord Father, but but on the radio. We just want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. And so, Lord... We ask that you would use that and just let your word go forth and do what it always does, Lord Father, and that is exalt Jesus Christ and draw people to you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Any questions?